Well, hope you've been well. Did you have a good week? Indeed. Very good week. Putting out IT fires? Yeah, it's really ramping up as the fall hit. Uh, very, very busy. In uh, the middle of November, I get an assistant. All right. I got big plans on how I'm going to train him up. <laughs> so you yeah. uh, did you foresee a, a, a future um, of not doing any of the work? The classic <laughs> style of a management of American management. You know, there's uh, I earned it. I'll, I'll give you the uh, the real short, quick version of it. There's a there's a theory. It says that uh, you can divide all humans into four categories. The vast majority of humans are stupid and lazy, and they're just fine for doing the majority of the work. And then uh, there's another quadrant of this uh, uh, graph that's uh, people who are the opposite of that. They are clever and energetic, and they are just fine to supervise the stupid and lazy. And now the other two quadrants, the clever and uh, I'm sorry, uh, clever and lazy. And that's what you want to aspire to be because then Mm -hmm. you can get everything done that needs to get done, but you don't have to kill yourself doing it. If you got the clever and energetic supervising the stupid and stupid and lazy, you can probably lay back and you rise to the top. Now the last quadrant, the stupid and energetic will destroy any organization. <laughs> must be flushed as quick as possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, boy, we got a lot of stupidly stupid and energetic people. Boy, uh, <laughs> the world kind of, is too many of them. Yes. Yeah, and there, it's something that's happened I, over the last uh, I don't know five, six, ten years. I don't know. Um, There's a lot more people who are uh, energetically um, exuberant about their stupidity and incredibly confident about uh, a lack of uh, ability to, you know, look things up. (laughs) (laughs) Google is not their friend. (laughs) Not their friend. You know, I think you you can spot these people in the wild by... um, Anytime someone asks you something on a social media platform, uh-huh. uh, anytime someone asks you something on a social media platform that is easily lookable, upable by yourself, <laughs> yes. like, you know, what's a good recipe for, uh, you know, shiitake mushrooms? <laughs> There's unless a bazillion of them on the yeah, interwebs. Yeah, unless you're like, maybe, you're, okay, I'll give you a break if you're asking a friend who's like, you know, maybe a chef or, you know. Something like that. But if you're just like screaming out to the, the wilderness, like a lot of people do, um, dumb questions that are at your fingertips. Um, and it gets me thinking about, you know, we were there at the beginning of, uh, not really the beginning, beginning, but like the beginning of the worldwide acceptance of the internet. We were on the ground floor of it. Becoming. Yes. Yep. And, uh, it's so funny now looking back at the attitudes of people and like especially like uh because it was it was a place uh if you weren't there at the time most of the internet before the world wide web was a basically a web of bulletin boards you know that you could you know like hear 
uh, in Dayton, we had Dayton Freenet. You know, you could log in with your 14.4 baud modem and uh, get email, and then you could go, you know, get on like Gopher servers and uh, stuff like that. You know, Usenet groups where you know, could communicate yes. with people. Uh, yeah and that's when you that's when you know I, you know a lot of people started becoming corrupted <laughs> from like all this, the sick shit they saw in used net groups yeah um but i digress we thought i guess collectively as a as a macro that this was going this was going to be a topic technology that would free human beings um because there would be an explosion and intellectual curiosity because what else could happen if you have all the information you know that you you know would have had to travel for you know uh previously or you know access in you know, large universities you had to go to places to get research stuff. was much more difficult when you had to know the dewey decimal system yes and you know you needed that uh you need transportation for research Yep. Um, so we cut the transportation part out and, uh, while there's, there's a lot, while there's a lot, there's been a lot of good, uh, it's like the yin the yang, uh, just as much bad comes from it as good. You know, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned this because, uh, a month ago, uh, I'm listening to, uh, NPR and they're interviewing a guy. I didn't catch his name, but he's, uh, I think, uh, uh, an internet billionaire. And I think he kind of renounced it all. And his book, uh, try to get the exact title, but paraphrasing it is something like, uh, you know, uh, get off social media now or cancel your social media accounts now. And they were interviewing him and he was talking about exactly what you were just talking about. He was in the early days of it. And he's talking about the kind of idealistic, the ideas that, you know, this should be for the good of everybody. And this is going to transform uh, society in a good way. And everybody is going to be able to share what they think now. And he talked about how then it went to shit, mostly from greed. <laughs> um, because he said the early pioneers like Kim, they thought, well, you know, you shouldn't charge money for this. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in the people using it becoming the commodity, you know, which is Facebook, uh, et cetera. That's their business model. If you're getting it for free, you don't understand. You're the product that's being sold. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so they have algorithms that encourage you to participate more and their algorithms, you know, uh, tend to bring out the worst in people and get them to spew it. Yeah. And you go to, you know, um, create information bubbles where, uh, you know, we're not necessarily aware that our worldview may not necessarily be correct in any way, shape or form but everything that's around us reinforces that same worldview. Um, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Now, yeah, people are in their own information bubbles now where mm -hmm. they only look at, listen to, read stuff they already agree with. Yeah, I'm starting to see myself like, I check my stuff at the end of the day now, which is a big, you know, like move away from just like, it's just got to be too much. 
fucking notifications and people chatting. You know, most of it's just like, you know, friends like, did you see such and such, you know, blah, 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 you know, entertaining. But like, I don't, I just come to the point where I I just don't need constant. um, I don't need to, you don't need to be in contact with me 24 seven. 365 and have access to me <laughs> I'm, sure I'm not the only i'm sure i'm not the only one that feels like that you know when was when was the last time you felt like you had to open every email in your inbox and and answer it or you know respond to it in some way i've got one email box for that and then like a couple more that were just like i'd never even go anymore <laughs> I'm or or if some, someone will say like, hey, I sent you an email to such and such email address. I'm like, ooh, I better go check that account because I never look at it. It just became too much. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm in the, I'm definitely scaling, digitally scaling back. I, uh, I canceled my Twitter account this week. I've been thinking about doing that for a long time just because uh, this is just garbage. Just like constant garbage even like kids commit suicide right it's it's either like people trying to be uh you know the edgiest that you're like uh right-wing nazi they can be uh or like just media personalities trying to out you know put the clever hot take of the moment it's uh, all it's all boring the kids now all want to be social media influencers that's their dream job right yeah Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't say all. Yeah, there's there's kids that want to do a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, that's a it, it, the ocean. Yeah, there's a kid doing that. Some some kids got a big plastic barge, and um, it was a couple of years ago. I think I saw a man need to look back into him where he was like raising money to clean like the the floating plastic states. The Texas-sized island in the Pacific, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a much better use of people's time than, you know, I'm going to make, the next, I'm gonna make the next algorithm. I had my stuff, you know, the, the song, I think I gave you a little preview that I've been working on. Uh, I put it up on YouTube then put it up on Facebook. Then I put it up on TikTok. Um, it's a song about uh, not following uh, the dictates of um, power, the rich elites and powerful and just getting along with each other because, you know, what the hell are they going to do for us? Um, anyway, it's, it's, like, it's like a peace song uh, okay. in, in, its, uh, it's in its entirety, but it was flagged by TikTok for uh, hate speech. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it was. They took one word out of context. You know, these, these algorithms. That's the thing. These algorithms. They don't do context at all. So if I if I put like um, it's too complicated for them. Yeah, yeah. If I write like uh, the 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 Jews of Europe sure must have been relieved when Hitler killed himself. Um, <laughs> It will be flagged now because uh, it's got Jews and killed and Hitler in the sentence. Yes. (laughs) So it's just like not going online, you know, or, you know, if you're, if I got time to 
if I'm in like an independent creator and have time to sit around and like, uh, I don't know, like appeal these things. Yeah. But like, who's got time to do that? You know, unless that's like all you do all day. Hey, you wanted to talk about, uh, I don't know, the urban Appalachia. Well, yeah. Well, one of the things I mentioned last week, um, and by the way, I didn't give an intro. Anybody's in here by now. This is the Dayton to Detroit podcast. And we talk about all things Dayton to Detroit and all over the world because, you know, you don't want to cage yourself in too much. Thank but you. I think uh, one of the things that, 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 that binds Dayton, where I'm from, Detroit, uh, we're from is the great southern migration now if you look the great southern migration up like on history.com or uh, historical searches searches they'll talk a lot about um it was largely a, a black southern migration to the north spawned by things like jim crow lack of opportunities uh, social immobility like the you know the general and like a lot of opportunities in the north um, I read that, okay, Henry Ford started paying $5 a day. At that time, farming in the South, you could make the tops like $3 a day. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're talking a silver dollar, right? Which, what do they go for now? About between $17 and $24, mm -hmm. depending on the price of silver. Yeah, so I just thought, I think like that that era, I think it lasted, I think where I saw history.com, the article I just read, from like 1910 to 1970. Um, and it also encompassed a great Appalachian migration, right? And so it you was had- black and white, sure. It was black and white and it was mountain white. So it wasn't just like, you know, Anglo-Saxon New Englanders, um, uh, it was the Appalachians who, uh, if you go back into that lineage, a lot of uh, Scots-Irish. Um, yes. And uh, my people, myself, uh, actually, that's how I came to be from where I'm from was because of the great Appalachian slash Southern migration. Their and car broke down in Dayton. The they car broke down. Detroit. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't get it all the way to Detroit, so they stayed in Dayton. Um, and yeah, this whole region became a massive automotive region, industrial manufacturing region. Um, and it was spawned by the labor of the great Southern migration, Appalachian migration. And that whole migration changed the culture for, of the United States um, forever since then. It spawned the Harlem Renaissance. Um, it spawned, you know, Apple, something a lot of people don't uh, know about is that there's a whole subgenre of Appalachians referred to, and you can look this up on Wikipedia, urban Appalachians. Um, and if you've ever been to Southwestern Ohio, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about because a lot of those people um, settled down here and all the way up the I-75 corridor. The, uh, the the vertebrae, the mother's vein of blood um, between these two cities. Um, and so, yeah, I just think um, that it's another, someone mentioned me this week too, that are like, if PBS was looking for another, or Ken Burns was looking for another great documentary, 
um, he should do that and how those two cultures, black and Appalachian, um, created something completely different um, in language, uh, arts, culture, um, civil rights. So if you look back at uh, Fred Hampton, like when, when did Fred Hampton get like really, really, really on the eyes of the authorities? And they were like, oh, we got to assassinate this guy. When he started hooking up with the white Appalachians in Chicago. Now, were they started they... joining those, like, like if they join the hillbillies and the blacks, it's over for the ruling class in America. Were they um, in agreement on the idea um, that, uh, like, they both agreed on segregation? Was that it? I I do um, remember. I think, like, from what I've read, um, and I'm paraphrasing, that originally the um, the Appalachians, who were like a group of Appalachians who were living in Chicago, working, uh, you know, working in industry, as most did. Um, Fred Hampton had reached out to them and originally they were like, okay, we, we, we want to get rights for, you know, poor white folks. Um, but we still, you know, believe in like separation of the races. And then eventually they were like, they ditched any kind of racism because they realized that like, if one man is not free, no, no man is free. Um, that kind of thing. And, uh, then, of course, you know, Fred Hampton was assassinated and uh, that whole uh, scene around him di you know, disappeared because there was no Fred Hampton, of course. But I think that that was uh, in the eyes of the man, there's nothing more that they fear than the, and <laughs> the couplings of those two uh ethnic groups in the United States. It's really interesting that you bring this up because over the week since you and I talked last and you mentioned you wanted to discuss urban Appalachia and the Southern migration, I was thinking about a interview I heard with a Wayne State University Detroit professor. And he was talking about how I go back, I'll, I'll jump back for a second here. I go back to maybe the 30s and I think about labor and the struggle of labor and unions and uh, the auto workers in Detroit and the Democratic Party and how the Democratic Party in the 30s uh, ruled the South and basically uh, was against blacks being able to vote or being able to change anything through the vote in the South and and was supported by white high school educated uh, factory workers and union workers. And the difference today is union workers in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all over the country, uh, white high school educated union or non-union, these same guys whose fathers and grandfathers in the 30s voted Democrat all the time. They're voting Republican now. And why? Because the Democratic Party embraced, when Lyndon Johnson was president, the idea that the gains of labor should be extended to black people. 
And at that point, the Democratic Party lost the support of the blacks. And this this union that you were talking about. Of the whites, you mean. Lost the support of the whites. Yes. This union that you were talking about that would have been feared by the establishment between, you know, white hillbillies and black domestics and working as maids and black farm workers. Uh, maybe, you know, the uh, the possibilities would have been there if those two had united, uh, but it, they're bitterly divided today. And, you know, those, I see the guys that I think ought to be supporting the Democratic Party to defend labor are, you know, totally voting Republican today because they're racists. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, the story all over. I mean, there's a there's a big split in unions in this area, which has been a traditional Democratic area. Um, I got friends who like who actually work for unions, and that's one of their biggest problems. Is like, uh, you know, like these cats aren't really for you. But at the same time, let's look at the history <laughs> since that time uh, when we look at you know going through. Reagan when he crushed the uh, uh, airline workers union, and I think one of the most controllers. Yes, I think the biggest something that's never mentioned was when, and it happened at the Chevy S10 truck in Moraine, Ohio, right down the road from me, was when the um, the UAW they voted to keep to let the younger workers come in at shit wages and keep yeah. the keep the old guys on like the old union but we got a two they made the two-tier system and that was like oh we're selling your generation out folks we got ours we're keeping it um and plus you know that also split the unions as far as like solidarity between people because you got oh we got you know obviously you don't want for me what you had so uh you know i'm not on your side you're not on my side um, so yeah, I think that whole that was like such a key thing that like they were they they got the unions to sell each other out like on yes. wages, and that was just a giant massive loss. And I kind of subscribe with you. Ever heard of uh, Thomas Frank? No. Thomas Frank is great. He's a he's a, a writer. I think he's from Kansas. I believe he wrote the book called "What's the Matter with Kansas." Um, he's written a couple more, but essentially his whole thesis is that the problem with the Democratic Party is that uh, during the Clinton years um, and around that time, it started becoming a party of upper mobile, upwardly mobile professional class, um, which is what you see today at the uh, top of the Democratic Party. You don't see a lot of like old fashioned like lay people who work for a living labor it's uh, it's lawyers both parties are the same way you know it's not just the democratic party um and when it became like yeah the refuge I, I of the professional it. class as opposed to the working class um yeah. that's when the working class started and then we, you know, we saw you know unions really like dissipate over the 90s uh and beyond and you're starting to see now a little push back in the opposite direction. Well, the, the guy managed to get, uh, what, the warehouse uh, for Amazon unionized. And 
And he did that despite the established unions. He had to start his own new union. You know, they couldn't get the UAW to come in or the IBW or, you know, and uh, it hasn't been uniformly successful across Amazon by any means. I think a big vote in New York, maybe it was upstate New York, just in the last couple of weeks went against the union. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. There is a uh, resurgence in uh, interest in unions. Yeah, I think what, what people are going to find out that a lot of these unions, um, especially the, the very upper echelon who do very little of the work, make an enormous amount of money. Uh, I worked at a public, uh, I was a union president for a, a public workers union, a local president. And uh, the guys in Columbus were making like 300K and we weren't making jack squat. We had to work our full-time jobs and th then do negotiations, then deal with, you know, grievances and all the other stuff, which basically, you know, made you not want to do it after a couple of years. <laughs> I heard Tom Hartman talking about unions and uh, Tom Hartman made a lot of sense. He said, yeah, you know, there's, there's corruption in unions and yeah, there's hierarchy in unions and, you know, a, a few at the top make a lot of money. And so but the difference between the union and the corporation is uh, at least the union's a democracy and oh, the corporation totally agree there. is feudalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have zero choices under corporations. With a union, at least you can vote in new people, you know. Um, but that, my, that's kind of like the only qualm I had about unions. I thought like having a union in the workplace was fantastic. It was great to be able to negotiate for wages, for health care, for details like, for you know. Have a grievance process. Yeah, like to have like so many days, like we had, uh, I don't know, it was like six personal days a year, which meant yep. like, you just say, I'm taking personal day. I don't need to explain shit to nobody. Um, There's, um, and then yeah. we had so many sick days and there was like everything, you know, it was, yeah, it's kind of bureaucratic, but there's like, uh, there's something to contract for every situation that, that you come across just about. If you don't have a union, you're one tiny individual against a giant corporation that's got an army of lawyers. What chance do you have? Zilch. Yeah. Zilch. So yeah, there is like power in a union. People in unions make more money. Um, and yet yeah, I, people, but, unions are bad mouthed all the time. And a lot of people believe it. Well, they did a great, they did a great job bad mouthing unions back when deindustrialization was going, those things went hand in hand. I mean, the As whole- As if it was the union's fault that the corporations were shipping all the jobs out of the country. Yeah, well, they made they made that case a lot um, during those years. And I mean, hell, I heard my uncle say all this, it wouldn't happen if a guy's GM wouldn't get caught sleeping or, you know, whatever, whatever. If the unions um, weren't so greedy is the story. Yeah. Then the- uh, then the, the corporations wouldn't have been forced to close the plants and move them to Mexico or Indonesia or wherever it's going now. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, like enough money for a two bedroom brick ranch and a half acre is just, uh, just- That's greed, yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> the fat cats. The fat cats got 12 houses they can't even keep track of. They don't even try. Yeah. 
So. Did you hear about, uh, this happened about 12 years ago. These kids started following social media and they noticed uh, Paris Hilton told everybody, you know, where she was vacationing, whether it was Rome or wherever she was. So they went to her house in a gated community. They parked outside the gates. They went inside the gated community. They went inside her house. The front door was open. Her safe was open. There's, you know, purses laying on the floor of her uh, closet in her bedroom, uh, stuffed with hundreds and fifties from from party nights out. And uh, so they broke into Paris Hilton's house five times before she noticed. They even made a movie about it. And uh, Paris Hilton offered her house to film it. Did I lose you? I'm here. And it's to me, it's a bigger parable about the rich are now so rich that you can steal from them and they don't even notice. Yeah. But I haven't seen the movie. I just found out about the case. And these kids went and like they would see, oh, I like this actor's girlfriend, the lingerie that she's wearing on TV. Let's go break into their house and steal that lingerie. <laughs> and then they did. <laughs> they, they broke into one guy's house because they wanted to steal the art that he had on the walls to furnish their pad. Oh, my God. <laughs> so getting back to, we got a little time here. Getting back to the theme of uh, bubbles that we were talking to, talking about last week. Information earlier, bubbles. Information bubbles. So I watched a great documentary. You got to watch it. Um, it's on the Vice Network. and I'm not, I don't usually recommend Vice. They got some good stuff, but they're kind of annoying to like in a, <laughs> in a Brooklyn hipster who produces like content kind of way. Um, but anyway, they ran this movie. It's on their YouTube channel. It's by uh, some Austrian filmmakers who went down to the villages in Florida. Now, if you All the villages. <laughs> you know about the villages. Yeah. The okay, world's yeah. leading place to catch an STD. Yes. So, um, yeah, they went down and did, like, it's a wonderfully done documentary um, about uh, – the people who leave to go to the villages, um, mostly all baby boomers, um, which is, brings up another interesting like conversation, uh, generational conversation. I, I think you're you're on like the very end 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 of the baby boomers. Am I right? Yes, I am. You'd be called Generation Jones. My dad came back from World War II and got married and had me, but it wasn't until '61. Okay, so I'm like seven. So you're like, you're, yeah, you're what that art. I sent you this article. I'm not sure if you got to see it. It was about like the people were at the very, very end of the baby boomers, but they really weren't baby boomers other than the fact that they occupied, like, okay, we're in this time that someone said up to that time's the baby boomers and then the next, you know, whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's like, I always thought, like, I always had a lot more infinity with uh you know people who graduated high school five to ten years from me then like my parents who were like 30 uh, they graduated uh high school in the early early 60s they were like the very very first baby boomers okay um, they're you know they're like they're 1950s pat boone uh yep. you know like all that you know like incredible naivete uh 
but too young for World War II. Uh -huh. um, didn't didn't go to World War II, come back and have you. They they were already around, but too young to go. No, yeah, too young to go. They were they actually born right after. Like they, I mean, they're like the definition of the baby, like the immediate baby boomers. They were born in yeah, like they're 44. the earliest baby boomers. Yeah, the yeah. earliest. Yeah, so they're like culturally conservative. Um, yeah, not they weren't on board with like the you know the hippies and the freak movement of the sixties. Uh, yeah, none of that. They're not like Trumpers either, though. Um, but uh, yeah, I always thought like, well, you know, the, the people who are considered baby boomers who are like seven years older than me, you know, ten years older than me. I'm like, I was listening to like Black Flag and Iggy Pop with them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, they're like a world of difference away from like my boomer parents as far as like culturally. Um, and I guess that's kind of where the, the lane we're, we're riding is that the very, very end of the baby boom generation X lane on the highway. My buddy had an interesting observation. He said that after the depression, uh, the laws were written, uh, because of the, the hard lessons learned through the depression. And those laws serve to um, protect the working class and really created the middle class. And that so then we had this rise of the middle class. And basically, uh, you know, from World War II to about 1970 was this bubble of wealth for the middle class that was that was created by these laws that were enacted in the wake of the depression. And then, you know, 70, Nixon to Reagan, they managed to erode those laws and uh, eroded the middle class too. And so, you know, we lived through this bubble of prosperity for the, the working class creation of the middle class, but now it's over. Yeah, and that's this is we got like three minutes left, so I think it's a perfect time to segue into. So last couple of years, we've been, we've talked about like we've seen a national freakout of sorts, uh, one way or another, whether it's over uh, current events, whether politics, yada yada yada. Um, oh shit! What was I gonna say? My brain just farted. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I'll remember. Well, so we can pick it up right there. Uh, think about it over the week and come yeah. back in the opening. I will think about it over the week unless it comes to me like immediately here. But, um, and I'm sure I will. Because um, we were talking about it at the beginning. But uh, what did you just say? <laughs> the bubble of prosperity for the working man. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so. I think it's interesting for us to talk about, but well, let's do this next, um, this episode is that this past couple of years, you know, we've had a you know, rough decade, five years, a uh, rough couple decades, if you want to be honest about it, but we both come from places that completely bottomed out long before. Detroit and Dayton. Yeah. And so like, this shit ain't new to us. Like I've been around for this, for this tour um a long time for a couple decades before uh, most people 
So line of, of the auto industry. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we both li live in places where there's like thousands and thousands of empty properties, commercial pro. I mean, I, I, I can't even start, you know, the scale of the, uh, um, the losses and the abandonment is just really hard to even imagine. It's hard to imagine here or comprehend it. It's even harder in Detroit. Um, but, you know, people in these places have come up with coping mechanisms and uh, a way out of the darkness. And uh, because we're humans, we don't stop trying. Um, what else are you going to do? You rise again. Rise again. And so... We shall always have hope because the, until we're just completely wiped out uh, from the planet, there's always a chance to rise again in some way, shape, or form. Who knows what it's going to be? Everything's always changing all the time. That's nothing different. <laughs> the grass grows up in the cracks of the pavement. The river is never the same. <laughs> One second later, it's a different river because all the water molecules are in different places. Yeah. It's never the same. So life's the, life's the same. So I think that's pretty that's, that's pretty damn exciting, uh, you know, paradigm to live with um, once you realize it. It takes a little while, a little time of life yeah. to start to realize it. So anyway, it's telling me I got less than a minute. It's always a great conversation. Day Day, I am here in Dayton. I'm with uh, Doc up in Detroit. And goodbye, everyone, because we're running out of time. These conversations just fly by. 